your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 299 of the Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Well, the Sens begin a four-game series against the Canucks, which starts with two games out in Vancouver, so get your pot of coffee on. It's at 10 o'clock Eastern beginning, and in games that start after 8 p.m. Eastern, Ottawa has two wins in 13 games, but they did win in Calgary, and DJ Smith has elected to keep that winning lineup, which means Josh Brown is in. JBD stays out. He's still learning in practice, and DJ Smith was on TSN 1200 yesterday, and we're going to get into a few of his quotes on just why he's elected to stick with this lineup. The NHL GM meetings were virtually held yesterday, and we have some key dates. Of course, everything is subject to change in the world we live in, but training camp next year is 153 days away. We also have the Belleville Senators comeback, which fell short, but in a shocking turn of events, it was an amazing third period, something to build off of for sure. So full breakdown of that game and the return of our Send Central Citizen, our favorite segment on this show. Kyle Skinner joins us from Dine Sport. Fun conversation with him. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Thursday, April 22nd in Pilsey. What would you say to a Sens fan who is very concerned with the fact that JBD has still only played one game and there might not be another one in sight immediately? Chill, dude. Chill. You know, there's this is a young right shot defenseman. He's coming from college. We want to get him in games like uh, Ross and I. We want to see JBD on the Sens team playing in NHL games just as much as the next guy. But it's not time to hit the panic button like this guy has such a long runway ahead of him that this is just the beginning. And, you know, it's, I think it's more the fact that there's so many other young defensemen in this lineup that adding JBD to an already young inexperienced lineup for DJ Smith feels like a, you know, a negative thing to his chances of winning on a game to game game basis. So really, I think this is more about the DJ Smith looking at his team today. What, attributes of the lineup they need and jbd doesn't have those attributes yet and would be another younger smaller defenseman on this team and we know dj smith likes his big mean guys so he's he's gonna keep one of them in especially when it's a winning formula like if they had lost all these games without jbd then you're looking like okay this clearly isn't working and maybe need to switch things but they've been doing well so you can't fully fault them there I think the fact we're arguing over a sixth defenseman just speaks to how optimal the rest of the lineup is. However, if Austin Watson had not been hurt and has missed the last couple of weeks, 
is there a more likely chance that Bernard Docker would be in the lineup on a more consistent basis? No, I don't think so, because I think you're looking at the back end that doesn't have uh, that grit, that toughness. Whereas, sure, Austin Watson, he provides that, but on a whole different level, right? You, you're wanting a guy who defensively can provide that. And Austin Watson isn't going to get probably as much minutes as a third pairing defenseman. So that toughness and protection if you will won't be on the ice as much as it would be in a defenseman and say what you want but I I think Josh Brown has played good recently like I'm not gonna say yeah okay yeah better better I should say because it was it was bad at the start of this season and now he's been given more responsibility I think it's a confidence thing he's like man DJ Smith is tapping me on the back now and putting me out on the ice not because he has to because he wants to and that goes a long way we got to remember Josh Brown is a young defenseman too only in his third year in the NHL. So this guy's still growing and developing. Sure, we don't have the investment that we have in a guy like JVD that we do in Josh Brown, but the, there's still some growth for him as well. So I think I'm okay with this. I don't I don't love it, and I would rather get JBD in the lineup, but I think it speaks to DJ Smith saying, if I put JBD in the lineup instead of Josh Brown, then that's a detriment to Victor Mete's development. That's a detriment to Eric Branstrom's development because they're not going to feel as comfortable out there moving the puck and taking riskier plays and stuff like that. And fans say what you want, but remember the Michael Haley debacle and everyone saying, why is he getting ice time? Blah, 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 blah. And we were, we were some of those people and the players came out and said, We like it when this guy's on the ice. Maybe he doesn't put the puck in the net or contribute to a lot of things uh, that helps you score goals, but he's a big factor in our confidence and giving us time and space on the ice. So if that's the case, then you got to respect that. He's played better as we touched on. He's a plus three in four games since the trade deadline when he's got a regular spot on that third pair. Victor Mete's spoken about how he feels comfortable alongside Brown and DJ Smith. On TS1, sent to 1,200 yesterday. He told Creature that there's a plan for JBD for sure, but there's also the fact that, yeah, when you have bigger defensemen back there, you can box out easier. You can keep guys off your goalie, was the exact quote of DJ Smith. And that's something that's needed, especially this Canadian division. There's big guys on, on every single team. And you look at Vancouver, it is no different to that rule. So I like what Josh Brown brings. Do I prefer to see JBD? Yes, but you know what? I got Pinto. I got I got a ton of other guys in the lineup that also need seasoning. And if if there's a situation where he plays two, three, four more games, I still see the benefit in being around a pro environment. People say, why isn't he in Belleville? Well, he wasn't paper transaction, so he couldn't be. But even if that was a part of the plan, there is development to be had in practicing with NHLers day in and day out. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. Obviously, it's, it's better experience getting in the games. So there's no argument to be had there. But I think another thing too, and DJ talked about this, is you don't want Brady to have to feel like he needs to be the guy that steps up to physicality and some rough stuff and some fights because <laughs> Josh Brown did not do very well in that fight. I think that's maybe one of the worst fights I, I've seen. He was just a punching bag, but... And we've seen Michael Haley fights. Yeah, yeah, and... Love Austin Watson, but he's not not exactly a great fighter either. He, I would say, have lost more of his fights than he's won. Same but, with Boro, too. 
Yeah, that's the thing. It, it goes around the board. But it, like, just say, the fact is that Brady was so stoked to see Josh Brown stick up and get in that position because that's one less item on his to-do list, right? Now Brady doesn't have to say, I got to go up and uh, fight Richie because he's been running around here and giving our young guys a problem. That's That shouldn't fall solely on Brady. So it is good to have a guy like Josh Brown around. So Josh Brand will be in the lineup for a fifth consecutive time when Ottawa plays Vancouver tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern. We'll have a full preview of tonight's game at the end of today's show. Pilsy, we got to get into the Belleville Senators. 5-4 loss, but if they play this game 9 out of 10 times, you convinced they win this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a game they should have won. And Ross, although they lost this game, it brought a, a smile and a, a happy tear to me because this reminded me a lot of the Belleville Senators we knew and loved when it was a high scoring game. They're down by a million goals and somehow they run and gun their way to a close game and they almost had it this time. And if it wasn't for a quick whistle, Mark Kasselik would have got a second goal in this game and that would have been what ties it. It wasn't, uh, I forget when it was, it was earlier in the game and it didn't seem like a big point. But when the game came down to the wire and his one goal game, that quick whistle and disallowed goal was the difference. And Igor Sokolov had a wide open cage on the power play and he passed it backwards. I couldn't believe that one, especially with a goal scorer like Igor Sokolov. But he had missed two opportunities just before that. You think he was a little gun shy? If you're Igor Sokolov, the shark, you can't be gun shy leading this team in goals. Like that's that's your bread and butter is your big shot. And if you got an empty cage, you got to go for it. So that was tough to watch. Now, I think uh, we don't talk about refs on this show, but that was other than the O2 Canada versus USA Olympic <laughs> women's gold medal game. That was the worst refing I've seen in my entire life. Like even the commentators, usually you shy away from that. They were haggling the refs big time and they were not impressed. So there was a lot of issues with the refing, but I think what everybody wants to talk about and we'll get into it was the play of Logan Brown. I, when he started this game, I didn't really like his game, but then as it came along, like you got to remember this guy is so rusty. Like I think Troy Mann said it, he's played five games in the last 14 months or something like that is wild for a young centerman. So he's still rusty. I liked a lot of what he was doing out there though. Like he was making plays with the puck. He was using his body and his size to shelter the puck. He got a decent shot on goal. He got an assist. Like I, th I think for, expectations for Logan Brown are very high, but we need to temper those, especially with Josh Norris doing so well. We don't need Logan Brown to be as good. So just give the guy some time. Did he have a great game? No. Did he have a, an okay game for a guy who's played barely at all and coming off an injury? I would say, yeah. Which one of the WHL guys has impressed you the most? Because Cole Reinhardt now has his fourth goal of the season. Parker Kelly got his sixth goal, assisted by Cole Reinhardt. And Mark Kasslitz was the second star of this game. He had a goal, an assist, and was really, I think, the best forward on the ice for Belleville. Yeah, I, I love Parker Kelly, but uh, since he already has an AHL year under his belt, I'll, I'll take him out of this default. Uh, by default so I like Kasselik's game man like he looks so good out there he's a tough guy he's got a lot of size he's got energy he plays a simple game like he he's the kind of guy that out of the WHL that's what you expect a guy to play like so I, I think he's done a really good job and I'm so stoked that he's fit in this Belleville lineup as well as he has so Belleville back in action against Laval both on Friday and Saturday hopefully the refs 
figure it out on video. Linesman too. Yeah. Let let the guys play. Like Belleville penalty kill though has been solid. They went five for five again last night. Power play two for seven. But when there's twelve power plays in a single game, it takes away so much of the flow and. You just have trouble getting anything going at five on five. But credit to Belleville. They battled back. They were down 5-1 with just about 10 minutes remaining in the third period. And then Angus Cruikshank, Cole Reinhardt, Parker Kelly made it 5-4 with a minute and 18 seconds left, but it just wasn't enough time. Can we mention Lassie Thompson's game before we move on? Because it's kind of a giveth and taketh away. He had an amazing rush up the ice, had an assist as well, but... You didn't like a giveaway in particular. Yeah, I, I think, and I say this a lot about uh, offensive defensemen. You got to take the good with the bad. So I'll, I'll take my own advice here. And he had a couple good moments and, you know, he's playing a lot more. He got some time on the power play, looked decent. But the I, um, I forget which goal it was, but there was a Laval goal and Lassie Thompson had the puck behind his own net and he tossed up the Biggest pizza I've ever seen. Like, like Colin White size pizza? Oh, man. Lassie could have opened up a pizzeria and gave uh, two for one deals on slices with this because it was terrible. He, yeah, like I said, behind his own net. And there was two Laval players in front of the net that he's trying to get a puck over, a pass. So he gets the puck over the one guy's stick and then it lands perfectly on the second guy's stick for the easiest goal ever. Philly franchise is sitting there like, what the heck just happened? Like, what are you doing trying to get a puck over two guys' stick in front of your own net when there's so many other options? Like, he could have skated it up himself, ringed it along the boards. He could have done anything else but that and would have been okay. So... That one was a real tough one for me to watch. I mean, Lassie knows it. He'll be the first guy to tell you that was it's a unforgivable play, but he's still learning. And this is why you have young defensemen in the AHL to fight through these kinks, to work through that. Because sure, he had that terrible giveaway, but then Troy Mann puts him right back out there and he plays a pivotal role in the comeback with two assists. So overall, decent game from Lassie, but I really did not like that pizza. Yeah, four shots on goal as well. So pushing the pace offensively Uh, as we mentioned Belleville back in action this weekend still lots of great stuff coming up on today's show we have our send central citizen we're going to get into the GM meetings and then finish up with a full preview of tonight's senators game but before we get to all that we got to tell you about our friends at blue nile this episode is brought to you by 1010 a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced limited edition so get it now before they're gone and they're at fair price points as well 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. These are rings that are sure to bring joy into her life because these are only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana by 10 female design masters. They've each produced a uniquely beautiful ring. They're ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece. They're the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only at BlueNile.com. It's exclusive as well, so get them ASAP. Just search the words 10 by 10. This collection features high-quality, fine jewelry that will surprise and delight, and they're fairly priced too. You're not going to break the bank, but you are going to give her something special and truly meaningful. I checked out these, and I'm blown away, especially there's a really simple ring by Lola Fenhurst that the symbolism is just so cool. I read it and I love it. And if you're on the hunt, you should check it out as well because it's a perfectly unique ring that she'll treasure 
forever. You're definitely going to want to go to BlueNile.com. They won't be around for long, so find them now. Search the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. All right, Pilsy. Typically, the NHL GMs head down to Boca Raton and hang out for a few days, but this year, the GM meetings were held virtually, and we have some dates. Yeah, we didn't get to see uh, which GM wears the best Hawaiian button-up shirt or anything like that, which is uh, unfortunate. Usually, there's a couple silly events from that, but hey, I think the big news here is that it looks like we're going to get back to our regular NHL schedule, which is absolutely amazing. I was worried that the, you know, the COVID shakeups would permanently kind of ruin the NHL's yearly schedule. And it doesn't look like that's happening because training camp tentatively, let's all remember that word set for September 22nd, only 153 days away. And the regular season this, this is a nice number, October 12th. That's right around when it usually starts, a week later than usual. So I'm stoked for that. And Ross, we got the draft coming up soon too here. Oh, don't let me get hot talking about the NHL draft on July 23rd and 24th, which means the Senators' first round pick will put on that jersey in 92 days. However, on the second day of the draft, It just dragged on and on and on. So the league wants to make day two more efficient. We'll see how they can figure that out. I believe it was something to do with the production on TV. They needed to time out these picks. So enough of that. Get the show on the road. Usually day two takes about the same amount as day one, like three hours. But it was a full day affair. Good thing for Ottawa. Mostly all their picks were in the first three rounds. So we were able to go for a walk and enjoy ourselves a little bit following the Levi Marilinen pick. It was a long wait to get to Eric Agnstrand Ross. No doubt without a fourth rounder, but this year the Senators shaping up for another big draft. They've got two second round picks and then they've got their own third, but same as last year, right? Unless they make a trade to get back into the fifth round where they did take Agnstrand last year, they don't have a single pick from round three until round six. So one first, two seconds, one third, and then in next year's to look ahead even further, hopefully an in-person draft because Pilsy and I, we wanted to get to the draft last year in Montreal. The plans were underway. Didn't happen, of course. But 2022, let's pray that it's in-person because Ottawa with five picks in the first three rounds right now. And that's going to be after a playoff appearance. We're going to will it into submission. Pilsy, the other notes of the day, the training camps tentatively set for September 22nd, which would mean the regular season starts on October 12th, which is one week later than usual. So let's pray and hope that the world is in a place where this is realistic because that's the start of unparalleled success. We talk unparalleled success and a whole lot more with this week's Send Central Citizen. So let's turn it over to Kyle Skinner. All right, we're now very pleased to welcome this week's Send Central Citizen. It's Kyle Skinner. He's also with Dine Sports. You can go check out their podcast as well. Kyle, welcome Locked On Senators. Great to chat with you again. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Returning the favor after you guys guest spotted on ours. It's a little bit weird not to be the host, so I'm in uncharted territory here, but I'm in good hands with you lads there. Uh, pressure to live up to what was a great interview with uh, with you last week, but What we like to do here at the Send Central Citizen segment, first and foremost, is find out how everyone became a Senators fan because the origin stories are so different from person to person. So what are your earliest memories with the Ottawa Senators? (laughs) 
So my, my earliest memories with the Senators would be coming downstairs because when they first came into the league in 92 there, it would be coming downstairs. It would be a little bit late for a uh, you know first grader to be staying up to the end of the game. So it would always be, all right, Dad, did the Sens win last night? 90% of the time, the answer was no. So <laughs> my, my earliest memories would always be that like, once every week or so when he said, yeah, they actually did pick up a win. That, that would usually be a good start to the day. So scampering down the stairs and asking, uh, you know, what the final score was, was probably the first thing I remember about the team back in the day. So you're, you're coming into fandom of a team that's seemingly losing every night. When did you start uh, getting positive uh, reviews from Sens teams? And when did you start really attaching yourself to the team? Well, it's funny because like my friends will attest to this as well, too. So and I don't know if this is more of a confession that I'm about to make on air here, but like growing up and I blame Disney for this. After that first season, I, I also became a huge fan of the Anaheim Ducks. So blame, you know, Gordon Bombay and Conway and all, all the boys there. But I ended up having like a 1A, 1B relationship between the Sens and the Ducks, just because like you look at those first four seasons for the Senators, like 41 points or less every single year. Okay, it gets a little bit tiring. And when you're six years old, you don't really understand the concepts of, okay, this is an expansion team. There's a rebuild going on here. They're going to have growing pains. So couple that with the fact that, you know, my favorite player growing up was Paul Correa. So when he busted into the league, like it was almost hook, line and sinker. So they actually oscillated between 1A, 1B for me for a while there. But I, I think... The first time that I started to get optimistic about them would be probably the first time they made the playoffs. Because up until then, it was uncharted territory. It was such a pipe dream of thinking like, all right, we got Darren Madley and Craig Billington just getting shelled for six plus goals a game a night. Like, you almost didn't even believe that this team would ever turn the corner, right? So that, that first playoff series was definitely key in, in my fandom turning point there. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, Paul Korea and, and the Mighty Ducks were, if you're a 90s kid, it was hard not to enjoy that. So what happened when uh, the best of both worlds, your two teams met in the cup finals in 07? What was, where was your heart attached to there, Kyle? <laughs> so that was a, a wild year because I would have been in high school at that time. And so I'm watching all the Western Conference games and I'm cheering for Anaheim all the way through. And I'm watching all the Eastern Conference games and cheering for Ottawa all the way through. Then you get to the conference finals and then I'm starting to go like, huh, this might be a problem. <laughs> yeah, there might be a problem here. So it, it was like a huge thing. Like if you remember that whole run, like there was Sense Mile and people would just arbitrarily drive down to, you know, whatever it was at the time, their Corral Center or uh, Scotiabank Place parking lot and just like tailgate after the games for away games. Like they, were, they weren't even there. They would just go and congregate there and go crazy and all of that. So my friends and I didn't live far from the arena. So we would be doing that after every Sens game. Then they met in the cup final and it went, okay, I don't know if I can be watching these games with my friends right now because they're going to be absolutely needling me with absolutely every play. And, oh, he took a dive and they're going crazy when the second score and throwing things at me. So I actually had to remove myself and watch the cup finals solo at home there. So uh, it was a no, no lose situation for me though, right? Like whoever wins, I'm happy because either the hometown team gets it or the team that I've been cheering for since they came into the league as well too, they win it. So I was playing with house money at that point, but uh, yeah, it, it wasn't until a little bit later 
when my uh, first daughter was born and as any new parent can attest like good luck trying to have energy for a 10 or a 10 30 p.m puck drop so once Haley came kicking and screaming into the world like I, I don't even know if I've watched a Ducks game since because it's just too late for me it's past my bedtime at this point so I, I I'm all in there's no more 1a 1b it's it's all in sends since she came in and Ironically, it was almost in 2017 that the same thing almost happened, right? You had both of them in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. And lo and behold, obviously, Nashville and Pittsburgh ended up moving forward. But I was getting a little bit nervous there for a, a while that history was going to repeat itself and have to make a uh, decision between the two. Yeah, nervous for the fact you would have had to stay up again with the late games. Nashville would have been nice in the central zone. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I will gladly take, even if it is just one time zone over, that extra hour is key because chasing the little ones around all day, oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's not happening for those Pacific puck drops there. Since we're already on the topic of playoffs, what's your number one most memorable playoff series in Sens history? Oh, I was going to say memorable for the right ways or the ones that are still scarred into my memory. Either way, what's more memorable? What's more memorable? What hit deeper? Yeah, I, I was going to say I still have PTSD from some of those Leaf series there, but I really think for me the most memorable playoff series – Honestly, it's probably that 2017 run, even though they didn't ultimately even get there. I just remember like the, all, all every series seemed to just be coming down to the wire. And it was such an improbable run, too, because if you look at that roster, like, yeah, some of those players have gone on and flourished in their new roles or new teams since they've moved on. But up until that point, it was kind of a, a written off team like no one really had very high hopes for them so for them to have gone on such a, a wild run like they did one goal away from going to the cup finals like every every series every game in all of those series leading up to the eastern conference finals they all stand out to me and that 2017 team you know hearing uh uh, Chris Neal talk about it on the Wally and Mathot show there, like just how tight that group was and how they almost almost got there in spite of Boucher's uh, antics there, which was pretty interesting to hear him talk about that when he was getting interviewed. So a bit of a uh, behind the scenes look at what was going on there. But th that was just a wild team and it was just full of likable players too, right? Like you didn't have outside of Carlson, like a bona fide superstar that you could write home about being like one of the number one puck movers in the NHL or top point getters or anything like that. It was just grinders and characters and, you know, they, they almost pulled it off, but fell a little bit short in the end. Truly a Brian Murray built team. I know it was the year after he stepped down from GM, but his fingerprints were still all over the roster construction. And that was pretty evident when you have Chris Kelly still in the lineup at 38, <laughs> but you're right. Just a collection of, of guys who had been third, fourth liners. I can, I can understand that Testament and outside of Dion Phaneuf on the back end and method as well. Like you had those three guys, but beyond that, like, not much going for you. I guess that's why Carlson ends up playing 30 minutes. And Craig Anderson just always played his best hockey come playoff time. A complete stud. My favorite series, I always go back to 2013. I know it was just the first round, but 
beating up on Montreal the way they did was was mm-hmm. so much fun. But I know Pillsy's with you on 2017. It was the Boston series for you, eh, Pills? Oh, yeah. The Boston series is, is the one that always sticks out. And, yeah, same with you. I know that's round one. And they had an epic battle up against the Rangers. And then, obviously, we know what happens in Pittsburgh. But it was the round one that just had most of the storylines for me. Which I know you said the 2017 uh, playoff run, Kyle. But which series was it for you that stuck, stuck out the most? Uh... I would almost even say it was the New York series nice. that, that year, just because for whatever reason, it seemed like there were like a lot of afternoon games in, in that year. And I just remember at least twice vividly being on someone's back patio and we had a TV outdoors and we were watching and the beers were flowing and the sunshine was out there. So it was kind of nice. And like, like you were saying, no one really expected them to be there. So I think the TVs, you know, when they're putting together their schedule and all that, they kind of bumped them to some of these non-prime time slots. And uh, they ended up being some of the best games of the entire playoff year that regardless of the conference division matchup, anything like it was just really, really good, compelling hockey, whether it was last second comebacks or overtime heroics, a little bit of everything. So uh, that would probably be it for me. Well, I'll tell you exactly why that those afternoon games were there. It's because the Leafs and Habs ate up all the primetime slots. But as is tradition in the playoffs, we knew the Leafs wouldn't last long. And then ultimately, the Rangers beat up on Montreal, which makes Ottawa beating New York that much sweeter because they couldn't get past them in the first round. Although it would have been sweet, the, the rubber match, because obviously Ottawa in 2013, Montreal in 2015. Still mad about that quick whistle, by the way. But we're hoping more playoff memories to come with the rebuild in full force. If you're Pierre Dorian, to get this team into a playoff situation next year, are you staying the course in the offseason? Are you looking to add a player via trade or free agency? How would you go about getting this team to the next level? Honestly, I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm not going out there and trying to be some sort of you know free agent wizard and bring in all these big names. Because number one, I don't know what the appetite is for some of these bigger name free agents like a Dougie Hamilton or something like that to sign in Ottawa long term. But I think he's maybe one move sort of away. So I would go out there and, and target a either bona fide top pairing defenseman like a Dougie Hamilton, but I don't think he will come, but someone of that ilk is what I'm saying, or a top six forward that you can get in there. If you do that, just let the kids play moving forward there. You don't need to do anything too crazy. You don't need to be trying to play chess when everyone else is playing checkers. At this point, it's almost addition by subtraction. Let's get rid of some of the remaining hanger-ons of the, uh, as they like to say, quality veterans that are just eating up time at this point and you know replace them with the jbds the bear answerums and put them in positions to succeed so i think he's one one signing away and other than that go out and lock up kachuk long term slap a c on him and see how far this pony can take you yeah i'm with you kyle i don't think there's too many major things to do and if you're gonna do something don't do a little minor move like counting on a veteran to have a bounce back season or anything like that don't do that. Either either go big or just grow from within. So I think that's a great way to look at that. Now, let's let's shift down from Pierre Dorian to DJ Smith and let's take a more uh, immediate approach. If you're DJ Smith today and there's only a handful of games left in the season, what are you doing to improve the lineup? At this point, like I've been saying it since game 1 all the way through to today. Like 
this is not the year that you're going to compete. Anyone who had dreams of making the playoffs and going on a crazy run at the beginning of this year, you're, you're looking through Technicolor. Some fans still class. have those dreams, Kyle. We're still oh. getting projections. And, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, and, you just need to uh, go 10 need to and do. 0. You just need to go 10 <laughs> and 0 down the stretch and then have every other domino fall. But like, honestly, it, at this point, this is the time where you need to see what do you really have right? And get the kids some reps, get the kids some ice time. Don't just put them out there for eight minutes and then staple them to the bench. The first mistake that they make, like we saw early in the season with Stutzel, he would go out there and then the first mistake he would make, he'd be on the bench and then Stepan would be making mistakes left, right, and center and like keep trotting them out for power plays and penalties and everything else in between, right? This is the time of the year where you are now building for next year. These are meaningless games points wise here, and see what you've got, right? See what worst case scenario, you put them out there, they make mistakes, you lose. So what, right? Like you're already gunning for a high draft pick in this upcoming NHL draft anyways. And it gives you an idea of, okay, you know, Branstrom really struggled with whatever, breaking out of his zone or, you know, uh, one of the other kids struggles in another area there. That's something that you can then hone in on and say, like, this is what we need to work on in the offseason. You need to add whatever, 10 pounds of muscle because you're getting pushed off the puck in the corners or you need to really work on, uh, you know, your net front presence or something like that. Like, figure out what it is they need to work on. And then you can literally just break down the tape and be like, here's the last six games of the season. Here's where you struggle. It's not just my opinion anymore of this is what you need to improve on. Here's the proof and let the kids flourish and go from there. But I, I don't see much reason that good old Josh Brown should be drawn into the lineup every single night. And JBD's watching from the press box and some of these other decisions. Like uh, if you're not going to play him now, wh why, why did we bring him up? Right? Like, I, 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 that's that's my immediate take is just see what you've got take the toys out of the box play with them a little bit so you don't worry about the fact that these young players are going to have to handle themselves physically a little bit more maybe Kachuk drops the gloves once or twice more than he has to versus if a guy like Josh Brown's in the lineup no, because what, what are they learning doing these, you know, being around the pros and, oh, I'm learning all these things off the ice and in practice and all that. Okay, that, that's all well and good for a handful of games. At a certain point, you need to actually get game reps out there. There's only so much you can learn from being a fan in the stands and watching a game from a distance. Like, you need to get out there and figure out, okay, wow, this this is how strong Shea Weber is in the corner. This is how, you know, fast uh, Connor McDavid is. So, like, these are the things that don't translate when you're watching a game or when you're viewing it over TV. You need to go out there and experience it firsthand because if you're going to make it in the NHL, you're going to have to do it eventually, right? Why not do it in a no-lose situation where these points are meaningless rather than next year where you're – allegedly our window to compete was this year, but we'll punt it down an extra year because of the pandemic and everything. But these unparalleled success years that Melnick's been harping on about for years and years now, like it, it's, it's playoffs or bust next year. Anything short of playoffs is a failure in my mind heading into next season. So the games are going to have a little bit more behind them next year than they are now. If you're going to make mistakes this year, who cares, right? You're playing with house money, especially with the fans, because the fans are almost relishing in the fact that, okay, whatever, we got to see the new kid out there. We don't care whether they won or lost. So you don't have to worry about anyone turning on them or the media putting them through the grinder. Whereas next year, you might have to do that if they're giving away crucial points down the stretch.
Do you have faith that next year is the year that the playoffs become a reality? I've got faith. I think next year is is definitely uh, their year. Uh, now, do they go on a deep run? Uh, probably not. I think next year is the year that you, you learn through losing and, okay, we're in the playoffs. It's a little bit faster. Everyone's trying a little bit harder. There's no taking a shift off, all of that good stuff. The, the classic, you got to learn how to lose before you win. I think next year's an experience building year, but they've got all the tools there. And like I said, unless someone really takes a step backwards or there's a, you know, knock on wood here, there's a big injury to a key player or something like that. There's no reason why they shouldn't be making the playoffs. Cause you look at how they're playing some of these teams down the stretch here. Now that they do have the kids in even the games they're losing, they're competitive, right? Whereas at the beginning of the season, it was, it was ugly. Some of those games looking back on them. Yeah, growing pains are what they are, but uh, you're just hoping that they've learned from it and it's time for the excitement of wins once again. And I don't know if I've ever seen a fan base that's been cheering so much for for wins down the stretch in a, in a lost season because now like you can see the core of what's to come and you want to build the culture rather than, yeah, this draft pick, yeah, it's bonus and it's going to be top 10 no matter what, but it's just an exciting time and it's, it's a ground floor time where if you're a fan right now, you're like, okay, I can start to see where this could take us, but there's going to be some more, you know, bumps and bruises along the road. So we're going to be following along with you at Dine Sports every step of the way. And you can follow him on Twitter as well, J. Kyle Skinner. Kyle, thanks a lot for joining us, Send Central Citizen. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. Stick taps to Kyle for joining us. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter as well. The Send Central Citizen segment will officially be a Thursday event. So every Thursday, we'll have our Send Central Citizen segment because it used to be on Saturdays, and now the Locked On Senators podcast is officially a Monday to Friday show. So make sure you're subscribed to Locked On Senators wherever you get your podcast. If you've missed any episodes, go back and download them. We had Cheryl Pounder on. Yesterday, great talk about Olympics and her broadcasting career. We've had Jake Sanderson recently, Ridley Gregg. Don't know if you've heard of those guys. How about Timmy Stutzla? If you want to go back to November and get to know the Senators' young superstar. Now, Pilsy, we got to tell you about Rock Auto. Let's drive over to this final segment because rockauto.com is a family business that was way ahead of their time serving auto parts to customers online. They've been doing it for 20 years. Now, you can go to rockauto.com and check out their site for yourself because auto and body parts they've got them from hundreds of different manufacturers they have everything engine control modules yep brake parts of course tail lamps motor oil you can even get your new carpet there and whether it's for your classic or daily drive get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door the rockauto.com catalog is unique remarkably easy to navigate quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand's specifications, and prices you prefer. The best part of all, the prices at rockauto.com. Always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now, right now, and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Just put locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box. That way, they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need visit rockauto.com 
All right, guys, the NHL season is winding down. The playoffs are coming up here, but there's still some juicy matchups every single night in the hockey world. And some of you are probably sitting there when Vancouver came back up against the Leafs and you're saying, I know they're going to beat the Leafs and you're chirping your Leafs buddies. And, and then it happens. But why don't you put your money where your mouth is? You got all these hot takes. Why don't you make some bank off them? And that's what we're here to do with our partners over at betonline.ag. Get off the sidelines, get into the action, and there's no better place to do it than betonline.ag. Sign up for a free account online. Free? Free, Ross. Doesn't cost you anything. And the best part is when you use our promo code, exclusive promo code, let I remind you, because betonline.ag is the exclusive partner of the Locked On Podcast Network and the Locked On Senators Podcast. If you use promo code Locked On, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. So you haven't even made any bets yet, and we're already giving you money. Now, how do you use that money? It's free play. You, you got to win it to earn it. So when you get that free play money, you put 100 bucks in, you're going to get $50 worth of free play. You got 150 sitting in your account now. You got to make some money off that. What better way to do it than having some fun with some parlays? And that's where I come in. Pillsy's parlay of the day was hot. Monday and Tuesday we hit, but Ross... A little bit of a snag on uh, yesterday's parlay with game one shutting things down. Oh, you hate to see a comeback from 4-1. Actually, usually you love it when it's in the playoffs in game seven and the Toronto Maple Leafs are on the wrong end of it. But yeah, we had Nashville and they were up 4-1 on Chicago. They end up losing in overtime. So we couldn't even get to the fact that I mushed the parlay anyways by pushing for Edmonton minus one and a half. They lost by minus one and a half. And I am officially off my hot streak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, welcome to the world of uh, the parlay. I'll be back, Ross. though. I'll be yeah. back. Winnipeg tonight is a lock against the Maple Leafs. Like, the Leafs are not only injured, Zach Hyman out of the lineup, and that's a huge loss for them in itself. Zach Bogosian, they're, they're going to be down. And say what you want about Bogosian. He's a bottom-line defender. But they already had Rasmus Sandin in the lineup last game. They are thin, and that's what happens when you pay your stars all over $10 million. You're going to have to rely on depth, and Joe Thornton's now like 26 games without a goal, and they're not getting any depth scoring. And when you've got guys hurt, you're going to need it. So I got Winnipeg as a complete lock. They dominated the Leafs in their last matchup as well. All right, we got a levy lock. We got to put that in. I just made a quick adjustment to Pilsy's parlay of the day because of that levy lock. So here we go. Four-team parlay, guys. Four. Let's get it started. Of course, I've been saying this before, and the Buffalo Sabres are no longer the free spot on the bingo card, but they're going up against the Boston Bruins team that is just rolling since some additions in the deadline. So I'm taking them. money line minus 295, just, just to get it in there. I know that's not great value, but we're going to scroll down, and this much of the same, but the Pittsburgh Penguins... They're close to being division leaders, which shocked me. And they're going up against a New Jersey Devils team that has lost a lot of games lately. Although last time they made it close, it was a 6-1 lead for the Penguins and it ended up being a 7-6 game. So I'm not so sure on that. So we're not going to get greedy with the puck line. Straight money line, minus 275 Pittsburgh Penguins. Then we're going. It's one of my favorite bets, guys. The Ottawa Senators reverse puck line. Now, I'm convinced they might actually win this game, but after seeing what Vancouver did to the Leafs, I'm a little bit nervous, so I'm taking the plus one and a half just as some insurance. That's at minus 190. And then 
The only plus odds in this parlay, Ross's bet is going to give us a big boost. The Winnipeg Jets money line is at plus 116. So, Hilsey's parlay of the day, Boston Bruins money line, Pittsburgh Penguins money line, Ottawa Senators reverse puck line, and Winnipeg Jets money line. Put 10 bucks in, guys. That's going to win $50.20. That is Pilsy's parlay of the day. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the action and don't forget the promo code locked on to get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. I mentioned Locked On Senators is your daily home for the Ottawa and Belleville Senators Monday through Friday, but 24 7. You can follow us on social media, lockedon.senators on Instagram or Send Central on Twitter. We really do appreciate when people retweet the episodes, engage with that tweet. We've been putting a little teaser video in there as well. So those retweets do go a long way. They're much appreciated. And if you wouldn't mind taking the time to write a brief review, if you enjoyed what you heard today, we would also appreciate that. Sends Army the best on the internet. And we appreciate the support over and over. We just hit 100,000 downloads in 2021. It took us... 324 days to get there in 2020. So the growth of the show is synonymous with the growth of the fan base, with the growth of the team. Get in on the ground floor because this Senators team is on the road to unparalleled success. Pilsy, that road concludes this season with 10 games remaining. Ottawa in Vancouver tonight, a Canucks team that miraculously, wow, they were playing the Leafs, came off a two-week COVID break where it was scary, man. The variant was going around. Guys were getting sick, but they persevered and won both of their games against the blue and white. So what are you expecting now in an encore scenario for those Canucks? I honestly don't really know, Ross. Like, like my whole thinking is a big part of the reason the Canucks won those games is because all week they're hearing the big bad Leafs are going to come in and take care of this team that's had struggles with COVID and they're just going to pounce all over them when they're back. That's a massive chip on your shoulder. So I think there, there's probably some decent money on the board to beat those Leafs teams in those games. So I think that was some motivation. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of effort we see put forward up against an Ottawa Senators team who doesn't have the same coverage, you know, doesn't have the same uh, media prestige. And, you know, it's it's not as big of a deal coming up against the Ottawa Senators. But the Senators aren't thinking like that. They, they're the ones that have their chip on their shoulder, probably saying Vancouver's coming in hot after beating the Leafs. We're not going to let them do that to us. So I think it's going to be a good game. Both these teams are much more evenly matched than they were at the start of the season. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Do we have to talk about those three games right now? No, 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 no. We don't have. This is our podcast. We can talk about whatever we want. All right. That was on the road trip from hell. The last time Ottawa was in Vancouver, they went 0-3. They scored three goals and allowed 16. That's all I'm going to say about that. The last time these two teams met was a pair of games in mid-March in Ottawa, both took extra time, and without the amazing play of Thatcher Demko, I think Ottawa wins both those games. They outshot Vancouver 46-28 to and then 32-29. So in both games, outshot the opponent. One was an overtime loss, the other in a shootout. They've got four straight coming up against Vancouver. They've played Vancouver less than any other team in the division right now. Only five games still looking for their first win. Is that going to happen tonight, Pilsy? And what's your number one key to ensuring that happens? I think it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. And isn't going to happen tonight? Maybe not. But I, I am 
fully sure that the Sens will win at least one game of this four-game stretch. Probably more likely two. I see them splitting this series. Hopefully the Sens can get the wins at home. That's uh, that's always nice. Even with no fans, it's a nice little boost. But I think the key to this is going to be you should have a leg up on these guys. Like they should be tired and they should be kind of worn down and a little bit rusty, not as much ice time and practice as they're used to. So in, in that regard, do what the Leafs can never do. Play high energy, play with desperation, play physical, grind. Like it's going to be all about those simple little things. Like this is again, Vancouver maybe doesn't have the star talent that Edmonton, Toronto, Winnipeg has, but They've got some talent like Brock Besser, Bo Horvat. Those guys, those guys can light it up at any given moment. JT Miller, another guy, Quinn Hughes, like they have the talent. So you're not going to out-talent these guys, outwork them because this is a young team that has in the Ottawa Senators that has a lot to prove. There's guys fighting for jobs next season. Let's see that high tempo. And I think if they can have good energy right off the hop, this is a beatable Vancouver Canucks team. No doubt. The main reason they beat the Leafs, and yes, you can argue goaltending for Toronto was brutal, but Brayden Holpe was ridiculous in those two games. So I wonder if they ride that hot hand. No no announcement yet, right? It's out in Vancouver, so we're recording early on. It's just past 11 a.m. here, Eastern time. So stay tuned to Send Central. We'll tweet out when we know more about the upcoming lineups. No Elias Pettersson still. He's been out for the last month or so, and his return is indefinite right now. But those Canucks team, this Canucks team, they're scrappy, man. They they play hard every single night, and they've been getting elite goaltending on most of their wins. So I think it's for Ottawa, you got to break that confidence because right now, despite coming off this long break, they are a confident bunch, right? They just took down the number one team in the division in back-to-back games. They're still at home, so more time to rest. They've got two days off between their last game and tonight. So I think that they're going to come in here and push the tempo in the first five minutes. I think if you're Ottawa, I've been saying score early and shut it down. Yeah, it's easier said than done. I think as the road team in this situation, weather the storm for the first five minutes, make simple plays, chip and chase, try to tire this group out. And you don't want to use um, uh, a virus against someone, but at the same time, these guys I don't think are at 100% right now. And that sucks to say, but if you want – to get a competitive advantage, make them skate hard in the first period, and then you hope that you have more gas left in the tank here come the second and third. Yeah, I I, I can see uh, your side of that as well. So the, I think, yeah, the main point of this is use, unfortunately, use Vancouver's disadvantage of this terrible COVID break against them and try to, try to get an advantage from that. Vancouver got... Lucky with poor goaltending. Otto's goaltending has been very solid. Matt Murray in his three games since he's been back, really impressed with his body of work. Ottawa comes in with three wins in their last four games. But more impressive to me, Pilsy, is the power play. They've contributed a power play goal in each of the last five games and eight of their last 10. So since April 1st, the power play is eight for 27. That's a big reason why the wins have been starting to pile up. The special teams, huge part of hockey to say the least. But not only that, the PK has been 8 for 8 in their last two games, both wins. So how is it that the penalty kill has been so impressive? We know the power play. They're getting some great shots like Josh Norris is heating up. He's contributed a bunch. But on the PK, since Alex Formanton has been put in this lineup, they just look completely different. How much does he shake up? the psyche of a power play. 
Big time, big time for sure, because he's he's a guy you got to be weary of. If you make a weak D to D pass on the blue line, that could end up in a breakaway and a goal against you while you're on the man advantage. So I think the key to the Senators' penalty kill lately has been that threat of offense. We saw Connor Brown get a shorthanded goal when he created a two on one by breaking up one of those D to D passes. So the Ottawa Senators. Shorthanded unit isn't just focusing on killing the penalties in the back of their mind. They're like, Hey, we could get a cookie here too. If we get a lucky break and we've got the guys to do it in Connor Brown and Alex Formant. And so I think the mindset of this PK has changed and we've seen the, the results of that. No doubt. And that's why my locked on player is Connor Brown. This guy coming off a two goal performance. He's one of the hottest goal scorers in the national hockey league. He is neck and neck with Austin Matthews for the most goals in the month of April. So I want to see just how hot can Connor Brown's hot streak get because I'm just loving his game. You liked his game even when he was missing every opportunity. You're like, oh, it's okay. The the goals are bonus, I believe, that you said on this show, Pilsy, because his all-around game is so elite. So now he's starting to put the puck in the back of the net, and you have to wonder, can he get to 20 goals like he did in his rookie season in a shortened season now. He only needs four in the remaining 10 games. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. It's not out of the question with the hot streak he's been on. So that's that's one to watch for sure. I like that one. Now you're going with the guy who's on a hot streak. I'll go with the guy on a cold streak. And I'm going to be locked on to Tim Stutzla. It's been yeah. quite a while since he scored a goal. And look, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He's been dishing the puck out and getting assists. And he's still kind of contributing uh, slowly and surely. But He hasn't scored in a long time, and that's surprising for me because I've noticed him having a much more shoot-first mentality, and he has an incredible shot. Like He reminds me of Jason Spezza in the way that he's always going out of his way to be creative and set up these passes when you're like, like I'm sure Brian Murray at times is just like, Spezza, just shoot the puck. Like You have such a good shot when, when you have the opportunities, and I think that's what's happening with Stutzla is he's realizing... He needs to be selfish sometimes in order to better the team because he has these grade A opportunities that he tries to force a pass through when he should just be shooting, which is what he's doing now. So I'm going to be watching him to continue that mentality, even though it hasn't paid off for him yet. I think once one goal trickles in, especially if it's a nice snipe, like a nice wrist shot that the goalie just gets beat cleanly, you're going to see a confident Timmy and we're going to start to see those goals trickle in. Yeah, he had that one beauty against Toronto about a week and a half ago, but that's his only goal in his last 18 games. However, he's got an assist in both of the last two games, so can he extend his point streak to three? As for a lookout player, it's Bo Horvat, because when you're looking at a team in disarray, not to their own undoing, but you look at the leadership to get them back on track. I thought he was exceptional in both games against Toronto. And I'm going to be looking out for him because he's a player that can push the pace offensively, but he's so responsible in his own end. Like if, if Josh Norris can end up being the player that Bo Horvat is, I think that that's a, an excellent guy to reach for because he's about the same size as Josh Norris. He's not going to dominate you physically, but he's so quick on his edges and he can roll his wrists on the power play as well. He's just like an all-around guy. He reminds me a little bit of Joe Pavelski, uh, the way Bo Horvat plays. So I'm going to be looking out for the leader of the Canucks, Bo Horvat. Nice. That's a good one. And yeah, I think that's a decent per, uh, player comparable is Josh Norris to a guy like Bo Horvat. That is kind of 
kind of the mold you're looking for there. So I, I think that would be great if we get a Bo, Bo Horvat style of guy out of Josh Norris. So I like that a lot. For me, my lookout player is going to be whichever goalie the Vancouver Canucks decide to go with, because you mentioned it, Braden Holpe was looking like the Braden Holpe we all knew from the Washington Capitals when he was one of the best goalies in the entire league for years, years running. Like that's what he looked like up against the Leafs with Vancouver, where he hadn't shown that in the start of the season. But now Thatcher Demko is uh, off the injury report. I'm not sure what his injury was, but he wasn't ready to play when the Canucks were. He's now off that. So we'll see if they decide to go with Thatcher Demko because he has been the consistent guy or do they stay with the hot hand and Braden Holpe? So I think either one of those guys like, Thatcher Demko, he had some rough games to start this season, but then he figured it out and he was stealing games for the Canucks, just like he did in the playoffs. So if he's hot, I'm nervous. And if Braden Holpe continues to be hot, I'm nervous. So whoever they put in the crease could steal a win for them here. So I'm going to be lo- I'm going to be looking out for the tendies. And stick taps to all you sickos who are staying up late for this one, a 10 p.m. start. And if you didn't, we won't hold it against you, but we will have a full recap in tomorrow's Locked on senders. It's a milestone edition. We're going to get one of our friends of the show to jump on with us. And we hope to be breaking down another sends victory. But for today, we say goodbye. Hope you enjoyed our send central citizen segment, making a return. Expect that one again next Thursday for Brandon Pillar. I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the locked on senators podcast, your team every day.